All right. Well, good evening. Uh, thanks for coming. Uh, we have our, gosh, what are we at? Fourth, fifth, fifth? I want to say fifth uh, Credo Deep Dive. Uh, we're going to be kind of unpacking a little bit more and diving in deeper into the topics of the church and the communion of the saints that David Stockton preached on this week, uh, which was exciting. David Stockton preached this week uh, in America. Yeah. He wasn't preaching in Ireland. He was preaching in America. Um, yeah. So I'm really excited to, uh, to get into that. Before we do, and before I introduce you to uh, the rest of the panel, uh, let's pray really quick. Um, Jesus, we thank you so much for your goodness. Lord, we thank you for your church. Uh, we do thank you for the communion of the saints. Lord, we thank you for <laughs> the fact that we get to just hang out tonight and dive a little bit deeper into some of the really meaningful and beautiful things that you've done in the world. We thank you that the church is a thing that you chose to use us uh, and to pull us together. Love you so much for that reason. Amen. Right, so we have uh, a familiar face from last week. Tim Hessman uh, is hanging out with us. Uh, if you know Tim, yeah, you know that one, he's 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 ripped. Uh, <laughs> but two, uh, you know that his brain is twice as ripped as his biceps are. Uh, he's a really smart guy. Uh, he's working on his MDiv, um, and he's one of those people that is just a lot of fun to sit and chat and nerd out with, but he's also one of those people that's really gentle and loving and kind and tender. Um, there are a lot of smart people that let you know that they're smart. Um, Tim is not one of those guys. Um, Tim is one of those guys who just lets you know that he loves you um, and happens to be a really smart guy. Uh, and to the left of him, we have his wife, Taryn Hessman, uh, who is equally as smart, um, perhaps a little smarter. It's, it's hard to tell. Um, she's also ripped in, in the brain, um, although her biceps are not quite as jacked as her husband's. Um, they're pretty good, though. Pretty, pretty impressive biceps. Um, she's also working on her MD, MDiv uh, at GCU, or sorry, Grand Canyon Theological Seminary. Um, that's an important distinction. Um, and she works there as well uh, and is, uh, again, just one of those people that when you chat with her, uh, actually, she's a bit more of like a, like a submarine theologian. You like hang out with Taryn and you're like, man, Taryn is just so sweet and so kind and she loves the Lord and she's creative. And then like every once in a while she says something and you're like, wait, 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 wait. how did you get that? Where did that sneak attack like super smart come from? Um, that really is something that, that I, I really value and appreciate about Taryn. And um, all three people up here are good close friends of mine that I enjoy hanging out with. So um, we are excited tonight to kind of be diving in a bit more, a bit deeper into the topic of the church, uh, unpacking some of the things that David said on Sunday and, and unpacking some of the things that David didn't even touch on Sunday because it was a sermon and you can't talk about 10,000 things in one sermon, or at least hopefully you know better than to try to talk about 10,000 things. I don't always know better than that. <laughs> Sometimes I try to do as many things as I can. Um, but I think the first thing I want to start off with uh, talking about a little bit uh, that David hit on on Sunday uh, was this reality that the word church is, is, a, is a word that evokes some different things in different people. Um, some people would maybe even almost call it a trigger word, right? You talked about having a conversation with a guy in Ireland who was like, you know what, the moment you said church, you lost me, I was done. Um, but here, we have some of that, but we also have some different responses to church. Uh, so I'm wondering if we could just talk a little bit about uh, maybe some of the responses that you've see, seen people have to church, uh, some of the responses that you think, uh, the things that you think that's evoking in people when you use the word church, and, and really what you would respond to that response, if that makes any sense. Uh, maybe, David, you want to kick us off with that? Yes. Is this, is this working? Um, so... Definitely coming from Ireland, I mean, church 
it created a lot of numbness in relationship and um, conversation. But here, I think it creates maybe a little bit more um, passion, <laughs> one, one direction or the other. Um, the word church, especially when you kind of bisect different generations or dissect uh, different generations. Um, what's interesting is, is the Z generation, um, our experience with them here at Living Streams has been, um, they, they're very interested in church and want to see church done with a lot of courage and clarity. Um, I would say what we've experienced with millennials is it's been, it's been a challenge. The relationship with the millennial generation and the church institution of America has been a real challenge. Um, challenging for the millennials to, to kind of swallow and interact what the church institution is and the church institution having a lot of trouble swallowing whatever a millennial is. Um, I think it's gone <laughs> both ways a little bit. Um, but I, I think that also is is a, such an important moment because the millennials really are moving into, um, you know, it's a large generation and they're moving more into um, kind of places of, of leadership in, in companies, in churches, um, and even, you know, in government and those type of things. And, and so, I, I mean, when I think of the word church, it really kind of fits in different categories with different people. And when I was saying the church is a trigger word, I was trying to a little bit be sensitive to um, I can't just teach on Holy Catholic Church and everybody just go, hey, that's great. Um, there, is, there is a lot of a story with each generation, let alone each individual, when it comes to the church. And, you know, everyone I've talked to, I mean, I even asked this question when we had our little um, pre-meeting, pre um, do you have church wounds? You know, and I think, because um, I'm a pastor, <laughs> And I meet with a lot of people, and a lot of people have what they would call church wounds. Church has not always been a great, safe place for them. So I think that's why it's, it's such an important topic, and it's a challenge for us who are crafting form and function of church to be, you know, to pay attention to. But I think it's also important for people to continue to to continue to continue the relationship with the church because, like it or not, it's, it's what Jesus has decided that he's going to make himself known through. And it's where healing does come through in our world. So um, you can't just get rid of it or you miss out on a lot. Taryn, I, I'm just curious kind of what, what you would say um, engaging with someone who says, you know what, like, I'm, I'm done with the church. I got hurt this way, that way. Um, like, if you're having that interaction with someone, what's, what's your response there? Yeah, I mean, that's a really important question, and I think, I think it happens a lot. Like, people get hurt by the church, and it's important to know how to care for people well when they're in that place, because, I mean, we are the church. Like, the body of Christ is the church. You know, we talk about that. It's not the place. It's the people. But yet it happens in these places. And sometimes places hurt people. And that's really sad. So I think if someone were to come to me with that, obviously I would want to be the hands and feet of Jesus to that person and have compassion and hear their story and listen to them and not be too quick to just tell them not to give up on the church, but I think there is a reality, too, that we have to remember that 
the church is a bunch of broken, imperfect people serving and trying to seek a perfect God. And if a broken person hurts you in one church, that's so sad, and I'm so sorry that that happened, but the perfect God still loves you, and there are other people who want to come around you and help you and serve you and um, be in church with you. So I think it's important to encourage people not to give up on the church because a church or a Christian has hurt them, but trying to help them see that um, it's Jesus we're seeking and to find people who want to help them with that too in a compassionate way that's also seeking truth and speaking truth. So, yeah. And it kind of goes person to person too, I think. Tim, I'm curious kind of like how you engage with that when you're talking with someone who, who says, you know, at churches, I don't, I don't know that I like what church means to me. Yeah, I, I think my default is to go to some of this. Well, as we were talking earlier, we were looking at, like, are there simple answers or simple definitions that we can easily give? And the thing is, the more we dive in to what constitutes any of these things, it just continues going down and keeps getting deeper. And so I've always grown up with the, uh, I guess, traditional idea that the church is just the gathered body of Christ, and so if someone was confused, I might start with that. But there's also really deep implications is like, okay, well, what actually constitutes that? Or what does the church cling, like, cling to? Or what are we calling ourselves? Like, what does the church do? And so when you ask the question, what is the church, you might be at face value being like, okay, well, how can we use this word in terms of a sentence? But we could also equally be asking deeper things like how are we supposed to act knowing our title? And so when you go into the process of like, okay, it's the gathered body of Christ, even going back to the creed, and the, and the two phrases that we're discussing tonight is the Holy Catholic Church and the communion of saints. And I love how the creed actually builds upon itself, right? And it's important to clarify the two words in there because Catholic means universal in the sense it doesn't mean Roman Catholic. Um, and it's a phrase that existed long, long ago. Um, and then the communion of saints is something that naturally comes out of this idea of the church. And so, so when we talk about this gathered church, I think essentially we're talking about the communion of saints because we're talking about those who profess Christ as their savior. And in doing so, we are joining in the communion and the fellowship of all of those who have proclaimed the, the acceptance of Christ as their savior, past, present, and future. And so the people who were reciting this creed back when it was first written in like 150 AD, when it was called the Old Roman Creed, we're stepping alongside them in fellowship as we're proclaiming this creed ourselves. So in talking about the church, I think I'd rest on that. But then again, it does go into so many questions of like, how are we supposed to act? I'll throw one last thing in there. And I mentioned this briefly on Sunday. In one of the services, I think, um, kind of, Get to be a blur at some point. Um, but the whole idea of church organism versus organization, this is something that just helped me a lot as I was trying to figure out my relationship with the church. Um, and so you have the church organization would be like Living Streams Church. It is an organization that calls itself a church, but it is, it is not the church. The church is the people. It's the organism 
that, that is the people. Jesus didn't die for Living Streams organization. He died for the people that have, at, at, for whatever reason, found themselves housed in this organization called Living Streams. And there are, you know, I've heard people sometimes say, look, the Lord is the head of, of Living Streams or, or the church. And I'm like, no, he, he's not. Um, I mean, there is a board of elders, there's a direction team, and, and we, we make decisions as best we can under the Lordship of Christ. But at the end of the day, it's still us making decisions for an organization. And we're either a, a house for the organism that is beneficial and freeing and, and, and we, we do well that way, or we do bad. And the church organization has had all kinds of different stories over the history of, of the last two millennia. The church organization has been horrid at times for the organism. At times, the organism said, forget you, we're going to go out to monasteries because you are so foul and so repulsive and going so the wrong direction. We can't even live in your house anymore. We can't even interact. We have to go outside, you know, in order to just kind of even, you know, live and maintain and grow in this. Um, and so, you know, obviously, there's a, there's a lot there. Um, but that's just been a helpful thing for me. And, and so some of those church wounds really probably have a lot to do with the organization. Um, and and that, is, that is a challenging reality. Um, but the organism, and this is where, I, you know, my message Sunday was very like, hey, things are just fine and they're, they're on their way to being really beautiful. And I'm, I'm speaking about the organism because Jesus has had made promises about her. He's made promises about the organism that, that he, is, he is very much um, still planning on presenting her as a pure spotless bride. He's, you know, she is the single most dominant force for good the world has ever seen. She always will be because she's filled with the Spirit of God. And she goes through times of pruning and times of renewal and times of awakening and these type of things. And all that's part of the process of God continuing generation after generation, leading her into the beauty that he has in mind for her, the beauty that he made possible through his death and resurrection and the giving of the Spirit. But those two differentiates have just been so helpful for me. Organization organism, and yeah, that's it. Can I throw you a hardball follow-up on that? Um, Tim? Well, no, <laughs> I, oh, okay. but, I mean, you guys, please chime in for sure if you, if you have thoughts on this. But what would you, I, I'm just devil's advocate imagining sitting, having a conversation with someone who's, who's really hurt, who's frustrated, who, who, you know, this fictional but very real person at the same time who would hear you say that and would say, so are you just, aren't you just, aren't you just using the organization as a scapegoat for what people have done to me at church? Um, if you were pastorally sitting with someone who said that to you, how do you think you would respond to that? Well, I mean, I would, off, I would ask them more questions about, you know, the nature of the wounding and those things. But I, I'm, that is not to say that you won't get wounded in relationship with the organism because it's messy. I mean, marriage is messy. You get wounds there. But if you stick with it long enough you find healing as well. Um, and, and we, you know, we were talking a little bit about that. Al Alec, Al I've been Alec's pastor for 400 years, something like that. <laughs> Long um, time. And, uh, and, and it's grade. true that we, you know, there's definitely friendship, partnership, pastor, all those things um, included. But I was, when, when I was asking, you know, has anybody have church wounds? I was like, Alec, go easy on me now. <laughs> go easy on me now. Because his wounds would be, you know, definitely I would have a part in them. 
Um, but we've stuck with each other long enough. We haven't given up on the relationship. And so what he was saying, honestly, um, was that whatever wounds there have been, there's also been, been healing to those wounds because we we've been faithful. Like, we've just stuck with it. And, uh, and that's the promise of marriage. You know, it's like there is wounding there, but just stick with it. Stick with it. Be faithful. Be faithful. And, and somehow the place that is sometimes the most difficult and messy, God can actually make the most beauty out of as well. And, uh, and refining and all those things. So I think, I think that I would try and figure out the nature of the wounding and, and not, not just say, hey, oh, it's organization. You'll never get wounded in, in the organism. But, um, but I, would, I would definitely encourage them that, that the place where they got the wound is actually the best place to get healed as well. So you got to stick with it. I think that really is so key. Not, maybe not in every single scenario, but in, in the majority of scenarios of church hurt. And there are genuinely just like, okay, that's really unhealthy, really not okay. You won't find healing going back there. But in the, the majority of situations, uh, it's, it's if, you would, if you would have stayed in relationship, um, I think you would have seen healing. You know, the, who, who's, of all the people you've ever, you know, had a boyfriend, girlfriend, been in a relationship with, who's the person you're most bitter about? What's the people you broke up with? Um, you know, and, and, you, and you probably look back on that and say, well, that's why I broke up with them. And maybe there's some truth in that. But also it might be because you, you cut, severed relationship with them. And I've noticed the people who have experienced the same exact hurts who stick around end up finding a lot of healing, like you're saying, as, as opposed to this, as the people who leave from the same situation. They're bitter, they're angry, they're hurt, they're frustrated, and they maybe even walk away from the Lord ultimately because they didn't hang to get the healing. Um, Maybe that's why forgiveness of sins is the next line. Yeah, yeah. You're going to stick around in the church. <laughs> you join the Holy Catholic Church, you do the communion of saints, you're going to need to forgive some sins. Yeah, you know? that's such a um, good point. And be forgiven for yeah. sure. But on that, just real quick, that was one of the hardest things to, to experience in Ireland was, was how badly people needed to be healed. But in their minds, the church was the place of wounding and and. What is true, though, is the church is actually the place of healing. And so they had cut themselves off from the place of healing because of the wounds that had been done. And it was just, it was a heartbreaking thing. It was a big part of my prayer over there. Somehow the Lord would flip that script and the church would be known for being a place of healing instead of wounding there in that republic. But it's got some work to do. <laughs> it might be backpedaling a little bit. It looked like you had something you wanted to chime in on. Has the thought fallen out of your brain or... Maybe lost it. Um, yeah. That moment, right? Like when well, you're think, when you're in third grade. I I, I oh I forgot the, I forgot my answer. I think uh, in speaking to this, and even specifically on the topic of like leaving the church out of hurt, I think it speaks deeply to the nature of what does staying with the church look like, and the church being a place of healing has to do with our nature as humans, right? Because God created us with. Our, our, our whole being is to be in community. And so even the idea of us being in community with one another is only something that's mimicking the community that the Godhead has within itself. Um, but it's also so foundational and fundamental to who we are as we're being formed. And the ability to perhaps let go of hurts or to process through hurts is something that's so deeply tied with spiritual formation. 
I've been reading James K.A. Smith and some Dallas Willard recently, and they speak to this idea that humans at our fundamental core aren't actually just thinking creatures, but we're creatures who love first. And the things that we love bear themselves out in our actions, and then we have thoughts that uh, justify them, essentially. And the world around us knows this so clearly because whenever the world's trying to get you to do something, they're targeting your desires, the things that you want to love, perhaps in your flesh. And so the whole purpose of the church, or not the whole purpose, but a large purpose of the church, right, is to retrain our affections into the things that we should be loving. But the way that that's practically done has to be in community, because when you're on your own, you're still in a community, you're still being formed, whether it's secularly or whether it's with the people you choose to put around yourself. But in order to be spiritually formed into the image of Christ, you have to be in a Christ-like community that's gonna build you up into the person of Christ. And that looks like training our loves, training our affections to admire Christ above all else. That's so good. I remember years ago, uh, I had a friend uh, who was around my age, was in the youth group with David when we were in high school, who was going through a season where she was kind of starting to walk away from the Lord. And there really wasn't anybody who was still rooted in, in, in relationship with Jesus that she was talking with except for myself and maybe one other person. And, and as she was in the season, she was, she was not saying, like, I'm walking away from the Lord. She was saying, I just, like, I need, I need, I need to get away from influence. I need to get away from, from, you know, church and people who are telling me this and telling me that. And I said, well, but you're, but, but you, you, your roommates, one of them is, is super new age, and the other person is someone who's walked really far away from the Lord and living in the party scene every, 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 every weekend. Like, how, are you, how is that getting away from influence? Like, you, you can't get away from what, what you're telling me is you've decided I want to get away from the influence of the people who are encouraging me on towards Jesus. Everyone you interact with is encouraging you to something, whether they intend to or not. Um, I think that's such a good point, though, Tim, that it's, it's vital that we, there's something really healthy and necessary about church. Like, God didn't call us to just do this on our own. And I think that segues really close, really easily into uh, another question, which is, why church? Like, why do I have to go to church? Why shouldn't I just go do this thing with me and Jesus between me and Jesus? Why do I show up on Sundays? Yeah. I feel like a lot of people are actually, like, asking that exact question, and maybe it's like our generation more, but I've heard that a lot. Like, I just feel better in my relationship with Jesus if it's just me and Jesus, because I don't have to deal with the church then. But I really think that that is, it's like a twisting of truth, right? Like it's temptation, and I think it's a lie that we're going to find fullness. I mean, God knew like he is our creator. He said it wasn't good for a man to be alone. And then we see like all throughout scripture, like Proverbs is how to live wisely. There's so many Proverbs about how community is better for us than being alone. Two is better than one. And then Jesus commanded us to stay and be the body of Christ. He prayed for us to be unified. And then Paul, he saw these messed up things going on in this new church and he didn't tell them like oh this was a failed idea let's go and just do it each on our own and serve the king jesus he said no let's figure out how to fix church let's figure out how jesus wanted us to do this and i think we see that repeat itself throughout history um i took a i've taken two church history classes and i'm not a history person i've never liked history at all <laughs> But I actually found it so comforting and encouraging to study church history specifically, kind of what David was saying too, but 
seeing these patterns of like brokenness in the church, but seeing the organism of the church live on, see the body of Christ live on, like the Reformation and just these big times in church history where people wanted to get back to the core of what Jesus wanted for his church. And I just think that's so important for us to remember, like we can't choose to just go off and serve Jesus on our own. That's not how God intended for us to be and how he intended for us to live our lives. So I think it's kind of an empty promise thinking that we can go off and do it better by ourselves. I don't think we can. <laughs> I'd love to hear you, uh, both of you guys chime in on that if you can. I think that's such an important question. Why, why not alone? I mean, it's so fundamental, even like, like Taryn was saying, even to the, the core of what is church. Because even in the beginning in Acts 2, I believe it's 42, where it talks about what the church devoted themselves to doing, it says, to the apostles' teaching, to fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. And two of those items in there actually seem, if, if not all of them, right, seem really communally focused. Because from the very beginning of the church, we were supposed to be meeting together. Even in later Hebrews uh, 10.25, it says, let us not give up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but let us encourage each other as we see the day drawing near. And Hebrews is a letter written to people in persecution, right following after chapter 10. And in chapter 11, we have this hall of fame of people who have had faith. And at the end of that, it steps into this place about talking about possible persecutions. Um, and in the next chapter, chapter, I believe it's 12, verse 1, it talks about us being surrounded by a cloud of witnesses. And so it's this whole balance of, of faith in community and how in community our faith is stirred up and we are encouraged. It's exactly what David was talking about on Sunday, about us being surrounded. It's church necessarily can't be by yourself because church is the body of Christ. Church is each member sharing their spiritual gifts with others. Um, in researching even the phrases of the creed, Holy Catholic Church and communion of saints, I was looking into um, one of the famous catechisms of the church, the Heidelberg Catechism. Um, and it speaks so much to this idea that God, or Christ specifically, gathers and defends and preserves his church, but also that it's the church's duty to share their gifts cheerfully with one another. And then the very just image of the body, if you're all alone, let's say, and, and to perhaps make light of it, um, let's say you're an ear. If you're an ear all by yourself, I mean, Paul's saying this stuff, right? Like, how is an ear without eyes supposed to see? Or is how, how is an eye without ears supposed to hear? But the idea is that together we are being built into the body of Christ, or together we are living stones that make the temple of God. Yeah. <laughs> awesome. Um, why not alone? Um, I, I've, I, I know of people who have been a part of a fellowship, even like ministry leaders who have said, I'm going to take a break and, and step outside or step away for a season just to kind of get myself in order. And I've just watched the, the winds of hell just come and, and just destroy their lives. There's, there's a safety inside the community that is, that is not out there on your own. Um, and, and, and the other thing is, you know, where the Spirit of God is, there is freedom. And, 
and I, I know people keep wanting to go outside the boundaries or contours of truth um, to find the freedom, but what they don't realize is where the Spirit of the Lord is, is there's freedom. And, and the Spirit of the Lord is found in the people of God as they gather together in unity. Um, though, you know, there's wolves out there. I mean, there's just so many different pictures that the Bible gives us and why God calls us to come together. Um, and, and from the very beginning, I mean, that's God's whole plan in creation was he looked and, you know, creation was good in every way. It was, it was beautiful. And, 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 and then he created this thing called family to maintain the goodness, you know, like Adam and Eve. And, 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 and by themselves, it wasn't good. So then he created the helper so that together in unity, they could maintain the goodness of the world. And somehow the goodness of God is, is only really fully grasped in relationship. And, and it's funny because even our faith, we don't come to on our own, right? Like we, we can't even come to faith in Christ by ourselves. But someone, Jason Beale, you know, takes time out of his busy life, you know, and he just cares about me for some reason and, and, and shows me not just by word, but by his life, this new way to live. And next thing you know, something begins to come to life in me. And, and I, I have told him this years later, but um, he had no idea to the extent of what his, his word and life and example was to me. But, um, you know, even that, like, it can't even start on your own. So why do you think you can sustain it on your own? And, and the whole picture of a fire, you know, you take a branch that's on fire and you put it away from the fire. It does not take long for that to go out. And, uh, yeah, I mean, I, I could keep going. And it, okay, yeah, but yeah, and I would just good. I would add to that exact same thought, you know, like to anybody who's, who's saying that, who's saying like, I think I'm just going to go do this on my own for a while. Like, did, did you not pay attention in 2020? Uh, did you not pay attention to the people you know and love who fell away from the Lord? Because there's this weird thing that happens. Maybe you've witnessed it like even in your workplace or just in your community, right? When someone moves away or they quit and they get a different job or whatever, all of a sudden, everything that goes wrong during the workday is the fault of the person who you know, moved on to another job. Even if they leave on relatively good terms and they're fine and everybody loves them, but when they're gone, when they're out of the room, it's like somehow there's this weird thing where you remember them so unfavorably. Um, and I think the same thing can happen with the church. When we stay in community with the church, we humanize the church. We humanize the people. We realize that these are people who are flawed and their flaws are, 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 are real, but I love them in the midst of that. And when we have distance from the church, we remember the frustrations and, it be, and we become embittered with them. Um, and we start to blame everything on the church that we've grown distant with. Um, and that's one of the reasons I think one of the things that's really worth it, you know, in addition to, you know, saying like, don't, don't, don't try to do this alone. I would say be very, very, very slow to change churches. There are good reasons, there are a million good reasons to, to, to switch churches. The Lord might be calling you. You might be moving to another place. Things might genuinely be to the point where it's so bad and the Lord is saying, look, you need to get out of there. But I would say just because you've been wronged does not mean it's time to go find a new church. Um, it might mean it's time to go deal with, with the wrong. It might mean it's time to forgive the people who've wronged you. Uh, I don't know. Uh, but I would say by default, stick around. Um, it served me pretty well. Uh, I've been here since I was three years old, and I've had some off-roads that I chose not to take, and I'm so glad I didn't. Uh, I was thinking when you were talking, I was thinking about that time where, where Jesus was causing a lot of problems for his disciples, right? He had 120. He's like, eat my flesh, drink my blood. It's a cool thing. 
And, and they were all like, we out, they're just gone. And then he looks and he sees the 12 and he goes, are you leaving also? And Peter, who every once in a while just nailed it, he says, he says, where else can we go? You alone have the words of eternal life. And in that moment, Peter stuck with it. Like Peter stayed in the place where Jesus is found. And, you know, and the rest is a, it's a pretty good story for Peter. Well, it's a rough ending, but then everlasting life. But, uh, but anyways, it's just, you know, that, that, that kind of has to be our mind. Like where, where else are we going to find freedom? Where else are we going to find truth? Where else are we going to find Jesus? Um, even in the, you know, messy, um, imperfect communion um, that is the, the fellowship of the saints. That's so good. Uh, let's, let's escalate this same kind of trajectory a little bit and talk about scandal in the church a little bit. I think that's something that a lot of people spend a lot of time dealing with. And I think if you pay attention, actually, um, and, you know, on polls, uh, I've read a couple of polls recently, and I can't remember the specific statistics or numbers or whatever, but when, when you're asking people, why have you left the church? Why have you left Christianity? Why, have you, why are you no longer a Christian? Uh, usually in the top two or three uh, responses uh, is because of scandal in the church, because of something like what Ravi Zacharias did or Ted Haggard or, the, you know, um, Carl Lentz or da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da. Um, and so I, I just, I want to take a moment and kind of talk about that and respond to that and say, well, uh, you know, the three of you guys are still believing in church um, and you're not, you don't have your head in the sand. You know about these church scandals. You know about um, what feels like a barrage of, of failure and deceit uh, coming from oftentimes the top of the church. Um, why? Why are you still here? Um, what do you do with those scandals? <laughs> Don't all rush in at once. <laughs> um, I mean, it's, it's total grief um, to, to see that. And it's, com it's, uh, it's complex, it, obviously more complicated, complex than, you know, the media reports um, give in, in the sound bites. And so it's, it is hard to make full judgments from, from afar on all these situations. That is, that is not to say that there haven't been real horrors done. And there's always victims in that. It's not just, oh, this person has fallen, but, but the people that were perpetrated on you know, have a lot, have a lot to deal with, especially if they saw that person as someone who was helping them know Christ, someone who was living in the image of Christ. And um, that, I mean, that, that's, that's a tough road, you know, and that, that's a really tough road. And especially if it's like your pastor and, and the place where you were finding growth in the Lord and you're finding safety in the Lord, you're finding all those freedoms. And, and the person that you trusted with some really deep parts of your soul and, and even your spirit and, and body and all of those things. And, and for that to happen is, is a total disaster. And, and so obviously there's the sexual reality, there's you know, financial realities, there's, there's other realities as well. Um, and I, I mean, each person needs to find the forgiveness of, of, of the Lord um, in time and in space and in battle and in and talk to Faith Cummings um, <laughs> and things like that. But it's, it, I mean, I, there's just, it's, 
it's extremely, extremely difficult, but it's not hopeless. Um, there can be freedom again, there can be wholeness again, there can be all of those things because of, of Jesus and the power of his spirit. Um, but as far as the scandal reality, um, you don't hear reports on all the people who finished well, um, and there's a lot of them. Um, and, uh, you know, I keep telling Mark Buckley, who's the founding pastor, I was like, come on, man, <laughs> come on, man, you got to finish this thing, you got to finish this thing off. Um, I thought, you know, because in First and Second Kings, over and over and over again, no matter if it was a good king or bad king, it was like the end of that thing just went, <laughs> just tanked, you know, even if it was a good king. So I was like, don't be one of those guys. Um, and uh, so, yeah, I mean, I think, I think um, sometimes we can think that, that every church leader, every man, pastor, is ultimately going to fall. And that's, that's not the truth. That's not true in history. That's not true in reality. Um, but that's not to say that there isn't scandal. It's Peterson, Jordan Peterson. I, I was looking up like ways people define church. And I mean, I was looking up, you know, Dallas Willard and I was looking up Tim Keller and Luther and Calvin and all these things. And for some reason, Jordan Peterson popped up, which I thought was interesting because I don't know much about him, but I, I don't know, I don't think he's ever been confessing to have Apostles Creed type faith in Christ. Nope. Um, but he says that what the church needs to do <laughs> um, is she, capital S here, uh, needs to proclaim with humility, we have our problems in the Christian church. We are moribund and sometimes far too often corrupt and sometimes deeply so. We are outdated as are all institutions with their roots in the dead, but still often wise past. Um, I don't know what moribundry means. Um, so he's already like way up there. But, uh, but what I just took from that was interesting that here's this guy who is looking at organization and organism as one. I think, I don't know if he has a distinction in the two, but he's saying that the church really needs to admit that it's got, it's got real problems um, and a starting point. And, and I think in some ways, you know, the millennial generation in particular, at, at least just wants people to admit, hey, we got work to do and it's, it's not perfect. And I think, I think they're right, um, but I think that message has gotten to the place where every institutional reality of the church is evil, has always been evil, and it's never produced any good. And that's just, I mean, that's total foolishness. Um, that's not paying attention at all. So, um, yeah, that's a lot of words. I don't know if I got anywhere, but there you go. <laughs> yeah. Um, <laughs> I, I think especially the place where you started, just like perhaps you start by just hurting, like acknowledging that, that that it hurts. And then something that's really close to my heart is acknowledging not only just the hurt of the victims, because it's so important to acknowledge that, but also acknowledging that as the body of Christ, we are all imperfect, but also we are told that people will know that we're Christ's disciples if we love one another. And I think about how flawed each of us are individually. And then especially when you look at scandal and leadership, there's a very real opportunity for, for any of these things to become amplified, whether it's with just fame or if it's with power or if it's even just being somebody up in front of lots of people. 
And jumping back to that first out of like the questions like, do we hurt when we, when we find out? And, and I think if we don't, then we might have to ask ourselves, are we perhaps a little jaded to the church authority? But then moving forwards, I think we also have to be quick with understanding what the right actions are to take. And uh, as just looking at churches through one of my classes where we're dealing with ministry ethics like this kind of case, like looking churches should have bylaws and things written up of how do we respond to certain circumstances. But there should also be a response of grace and love there of saying like, regardless of sin, God still loves this person and God still wants this person. And it gets really easy for us to, especially even, I think it's perhaps even easier for us if we see another church or a leader perhaps from a church that's far away, if they mess up, it's really easy to point at them and be like, okay, now we've got an example of what not to do. But we can so easily create division in the body of Christ by just pointing like, oh, I'm, I'm glad I'm not like him. Or, oh, and, and, and there's a fine line between recognizing fault and then continuing to heap it on and gossip about it too. Just in the church, we, we have a proclivity, I think, to sometimes go too far too fast rather than being patient and bearing all things in love. And so I think there's that balance of wisdom and discernment, but also grace and truth. You know. I think you both have said it really well so far. I think the only thing I would add is just, like, personally, I am the type of person, like, I get really affected when I hear stories like that. Like, they really deeply bother me. <laughs> and often what I find in myself is um, it, it kind of propels me towards fear and propels me towards not wanting to trust. And I just can detect in that flip that, it's okay to recognize what's wrong and it's probably right to hurt over that, like you both said, but that again is I think the enemy trying to swoop in and use that then to divide me from the true body of Christ. And so I've had to combat that in my own life of not allowing stories like that to make me wanna close off to church leadership or to my brothers and sisters in Christ. And I think, um, it also has taught me just that I can't hang the hat of my own relationship with Christ on any of my leaders, and that can be really hard to do, and it's good to like recognize your authority in the church and be humble and learn from our leaders, but like we are each responsible for our own relationships with Christ, and I mean, I think it really comes down to like daily walk with the Lord and allowing him to shape us over time and um, allowing his spirit to guide us. And when we see people fall, hopefully our whole faith was not built around that person, no matter how close they were to us. And that will hurt. But I don't think it has to like shake our entire foundation. And if it does for a little while, that's understandable. But I think there's coming back from that too, because it's like our relationship with Christ is personal, so, yeah. I, I would say too, I mean, the stories that I've heard, the little bit of like background to those things, a lot of times the situations were like, were, were aiming that direction. Like the way that a person was conducting their, their, their schedule, a way that, you know, certain you know, boundaries and certain kind of policies weren't put in place 
to protect it. Like, I, it just seems like in some ways, sometimes guys just get above. They just think, oh, I'm above everything. And people are like, yeah, you're above everything. And then the next thing you know, they fall. And so I think in some ways, you know, we have to be careful because our, our, the, the form of church that is popular in, in America and maybe other places, like we have to be careful because it's real easy to start to kind of push people into these places where they start to think things about themselves that are not true, right? And, and they start to have more kind of power and authority than, than is reasonable for someone and, and it can get real ugly quick. So I think there's some of those things. The other thing that I think, you know, is, is makes the scandal so painful is because the church oftentimes isn't good at restoration. So, so there's, no, there's no story of, of how the Lord is able to bring healing to a community and when something goes wrong. So like the scandal is just, it's just like the cut and then, and then you just bleed forever instead of, again, the healing that so often um, we need to have in the church. We don't, we don't know how to do it or we don't have the time to do it or um, we think if we, if, we, if we don't just get rid of this person completely, then somehow, you know, we're not going to be um, okay or whatever. And I think sometimes that is, adds to the, the pain of the scandal. Were you around when we went through this uh, at a high level on our staff years ago in Southern Restoration with our worship leader? Yeah, man. You talk about that. I think that's a really beautiful example um, of, of the other side of this. Um, I, yeah, I was, I was not involved in all of the discussions and backgrounds and stuff, but um, there was someone who was um, in definitely a position of influence um, in our congregation, and they, I don't, again, I don't know all the details of it, but definitely crossed lines um, with someone that is not, that, that was not their wife. And, uh, and so when it was found out, you know, there was confrontation, all of those things, and there was, um, there was, you know, removal and, and all of that. However, um, this is the, the beauty of Mark Buckley in some ways um, and the, the leadership at that time was, was they, 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 they kind of built a track for, okay, you know, this is where we have to start, but if you can, you know, stick, stay faithful in these five things for the next, you know, however many months and, 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 and time, then, then we, will, we will consider, you know, what, what it looks like to have a restoration. And the, the, the big moment of all of that, you know, and, you know, anybody that knows the story knows there's complexity and all of that, but the big moment in that was after this person had faithfully stuck with the, the, the regiment that was, that was given. Um, I remember coming into the church at some Sunday night service where the whole church was invited, you know, that, that, that wanted to come. But it was definitely, it wasn't done in like a Sunday morning for everyone to see, but um, most of the church was there. And, and Mark Buckley got up on stage and he knelt down and washed this guy's feet. And uh, something in all of our hearts said, oh, this tastes good. And, and it's something I'd never seen before um, and, and maybe even since. But there was this idea of restoration and, uh, and that, that was beautiful. And um, actually, I did see that couple and they're celebrating I think it was 40 years of marriage um, when I saw them and uh, it was it was pretty beautiful yeah yeah and I think it's beautiful that, that you know here's an individual who who, who really meant meant it when he says I'm following Jesus right mm -hmm. he falls 
and, and then he continues to pursue Jesus from there. And I think uh, you had said something we were talking earlier, Tim, about, you know, when we were talking about church scandal a little bit, is like uh, the thing that's really important for us to remember um, is that the church is full of messy people, um, right? Paul in his letter to the Corinthians is saying like, hey, like homosexuals and liars and adulterers and, and, and fornicators and cheats and thieves and murderers, like, and such were some of you as he writes to the church, but you've been washed, you've been cleaned, you've made, been made holy, right? The church, if we're ever giving anybody, I think to your point left what Peterson was saying, like if the church is ever giving anybody the impression that we are anything other than a group full of people who are desperately broken and finding grace in Jesus and restoration in Jesus, then we're really, really messing up with the way we're communicating to people. And so for me, at least, when I see major scandal and failure in the church, I, I put it in, I, I realize that there's only one of two possible scenarios here. One scenario, and actually I really formed these thoughts after I read the report on Ravi Zacharias that his ministry put out doing their best job to deal with a horrible situation in the way that the Bible calls them to do that, the way the Bible calls us to deal with that. Um, and I read through that report, and it became clear to me that, that it was unclear what happened. One of two things happened. Either Ravi Zacharias was someone who was following Jesus, and he had a little compromise that led to a little compromise that led to a little compromise that led to a monster and something disgusting and despicable and very broken and very destructive, um, in which case he's like every other believer who's had lies and compromises and has fallen and desperately needs the forgiveness of Jesus. Or he was always a liar and a wolf in sheep's clothing. And the Bible is very clear that there are gonna be wolves in sheep's clothing. And wolves in sheep's clothing do not reflect on the church because they are not the church. They are people lying and deceiving to abuse and manipulate and ultimately to be used by the Lord to, to, to point people away from Jesus. Um, so either of those scenarios, for me, isn't a scenario. I mean, they're, they're, it's not that it's simple. It's not that it's not something that takes wrestling. It's not that it doesn't hurt. But neither one of these point me away from Jesus or away from his church. Um, they just remind me that, okay, we need to be wise, and we need to be transparent. We need to be uh, confessing our sins to one another and, and walking in ways that, that don't lead to compromise. Um, so kind of shifting gears a little bit, uh, unless anybody had any other, I mean, that's, that's such a big topic. I, I want to make sure we air that out all the way because I think that's really where a lot of people's thoughts might be going when we talk about church. But um, So I, I think another train of thought that actually came up, we had a couple of questions along these lines too, uh, is, you know, Jesus talked a lot about unity in the church. Um, this is a, a huge desire of Jesus. It's his prayer in uh, John 17, you know, that they would be one as I and the Father, Father are one. And one of the things that we're really dealing with in a significant way these days um, is, is how do we be united across lines that we feel are really important? Should, be, should we unite across these lines? There are churches that don't say, uh, at least not without crossing their fingers, that they believe in the authority of the scripture. There are churches that don't hold to what we really seem to see the Bible saying when it comes to what is uh, the sexual ethic that God is calling us to. And um, how do we reconcile the call for unity um, with a breakdown on some seemingly really important lines? <laughs> to to not answer the question, but to hopefully take a step towards towards answering it. I think there's naturally, whenever we talk about different denominations and unity in the church, we have to start by acknowledging that there are differences within the church. 
And so that plays out on the level of the individual. It plays out on the level of denomination. Um, and then it plays out on the level of people who we'd say are part of the orthodox body of Christ and people who are not. And we actually have a term for this, and it's something that is really useful, especially when we're diving into, and into any kind of theological uh, doctrine and parsing that out. Uh, and it's this idea of theological triage. And in theological triage, we have three tiers of doctrines, all of which we use to determine like different separations. So the tier one would be, if you hold to these teachings, you are part of the orthodox body of Christ. So these would be many of the things that we hold to in the Apostles' Creed, like the death and resurrection of Jesus. And then you go to the second level, and the second level is things that separate denominations. And those things would be like choices on baptism or perhaps some stuff in regarding the, uh, the gifts of the Holy Spirit might separate denominations. And then finally, you go to the third tier, and the third tier is speaking about differences that you can hold within the same body. That might be really minute things about um, just different ways you practice specific doctrines or certain interpretations of Scripture. Um, many denominations, for instance, could have different eschatological or referring to the end times, different views of that that happen in that third tier. But so within that, I think you can see where there's differences across all three levels, and at that first here, you can say they're in the body of Christ, and so I love them as a brother or sister in the body of Christ. And in the second one, I love this example when talking about denominations, as denominations emphasizing different aspects of the Godhead. So if you look at your more charismatic, the Assemblies of God in Pentecostal, you see a denomination or several denominations that are really emphasizing the person of the Holy Spirit. Or if you look at many non-denominations and, and lots of Baptists or your more evangelical committee, you're looking at people who are really emphasizing the person of Jesus. And then likewise, when you look at your higher church, perhaps Anglicans and Presbyterians, you're really looking at people who are emphasizing the person of God the Father. And so we see beauty coming out of all of these traditions and holiness and in love and being rooted and grounded in love, but we are also witnessing distinctions and separations at each level. And so again, as I say, not answering the question, but perhaps providing some steps where we can ask, like, at what levels of unity or disunity do we have to, like, go into those more practical and difficult conversations? <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think that kind of helps a lot answer the question because I think it can be confusing, like if someone says they hold to one of the tier one things, like, yeah, we believe that Jesus is Lord, but then they don't agree that scripture is true. Like, that's also a tier one. So I think there's, it's good that there's multiple of those. And actually, like the whole Apostles' Creed, I would say, pretty much would be one of those, or it would describe the tier one of theological triage. And... Um, for me, I actually grew up Lutheran, a branch of Lutheran. It was called Lutheran Brethren. And we would say the Apostles' Creed all the time together. So it's so funny. I feel like I could like sleep talk the Apostles' Creed because all growing up, my first 18 years, I said that so many times. Um, but it's actually really helpful because I was in a class at GCU and someone said like, well, what even is Christianity? And the whole Apostles' Creed just like popped into my mind, which is kind of nerdy. But I think that's the strength of a denomination like that, you know, and we can see the beauty in that. Um, 
And yeah, I just think there's so much beauty in the denominations, but I think it's also okay to recognize when a group calling themselves part of Christianity or part of the church that aren't holding to the tier one issues, the tier one doctrines, it, I do think it's okay to then say, like, we would not say that that's a part of the Orthodox Church. And I think it's kind of important to know which issues we're sticking to as most important. When I, so I was, I was in Ireland for nine months recently, and, and so there's a lot of fresh like, things. Like a week ago. Like a, two weeks ago. <laughs> um, and there's Sean, Pastor Sean um, Abrahams uh, was, the, was the guy that Brittany and I we're serving under in this five-person fellowship um, when we first got there. And, and it was fun to talk to him because obviously we just, we left Living Streams who has perfect, all tiers perfectly lined out, <laughs> all the way, to, like 10 tiers down, we got it just perfectly <laughs> dialed in. Our theology is so, so sound. Um, and, uh, and I was going to, to meet someone that was a, a, a fellow believer who, who doesn't know living streams, so can't have, can't have good theology, or at least not all ten tiers lined up perfectly. <laughs> um, and and I, I say that jokingly, but that in my mind I was like, here we go. I don't know what we're going to link up with here. I don't know if this guy's going to like hear me say something and be like, ah, you know, heretic, or if I was going to feel the same way. Um, so it was, it was really interesting to go and, and then to, you know, link our lives with him and, and find, you know, tier one. Oh, what a relief. Like, bam. Um, we, we, we are worshiping the same Jesus, you know. Um, and, then, and then tier two, um, you know, to be able to, to see some differentiations, but, but to be able to really have respect. And I love what he said one time as he goes, when I first came here, he was actually South African, and he'd been in Ireland for 20 years um, as, as a pastor doing ministry there. And uh, he said, when I first came here, I was like so locked in and so stringent, and, um, in, and it would be like ultra-Baptist maybe, if that makes sense to you at all. Um, and, and he said that over these 20 years of being a missionary and, and basically like any other Christian there at all, he's like, I don't care what you believe, man. Can we just be, hang out for a little bit? Like, can we just tier one for a little bit? I don't care what, you know, he just, he had to learn that, that in order to, to see the kingdom of God advance in a post-Christian, in a, in a challenging world, was he had to learn to work together with other believers, no matter, no matter what some of their tier three, tier four type stuff might be. Um, and then it was so funny because he said that there was sometimes people would come from his church to come visit, and in some ways they would look at him like, what have you done with yourself? Like, <laughs> what, what is wrong with you now? You've, you've totally compromised on all these things, and, 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 and he just kind of has to like, you know, like live with that or whatever. Um, but, but I think that, you know, when you get outside of your maybe local church or your what you've grown up in, and you realize it's a big world out there, um, it, you, you do, you find both, both the unity that really is in this core. I mean, I sat down with a Catholic priest in the town. I just, obviously there was a big Catholic church building, um, and there were people that went there and, you know, and, and some of the foster kids we were working with went and got baptized there and we were going there. And I remember listening to this Catholic priest and I'm just like listening, like, 
It's so funny. My, whatever my ears are, I'm just listening to like every word he says. <laughs> like, what are we at, man? Where are we at? You friend or foe, literally, because, you know, anything's possible. Um, and he said to these kids who were not properly baptized in the Catholic Church because they were, you know, six and seven years old and they were not baptized as infants. And he said to them, hey, you know what? This is actually kind of cool because you're going to remember your baptism and not everybody does. And I thought, okay, I'm with you. I'm with you. <laughs> and then he said, and really what I need you to know is that baptism, it's, it, all it is, it's just the first step in your friendship with Jesus. And I was like, we're going to lunch, man. We are going to lunch. And so literally we went to lunch and he took me to the most authentic, like, um, Irish hole in the wall cafe. It was awesome. There were potatoes everywhere on my plate. I literally like I had mashed. I got like a, like a, um, what do you call it? Shepherd's pie. So there's potatoes all over the shepherd's pie. And then there was a side of potatoes, like cut up potatoes. I was just going, what am I going to do with all these potatoes? Um, but we sat there, and he, um, he shared with me um, his concerns about the Catholic Church and how they have not done what they should have done in, in, in giving people the Word of God. He said the, the, the Protestant Church, he said that's what we've got to learn from them is their people know the Word of God. And he says we have the sacraments, and we have, we have this heritage, and, and it's so important, and I think they need to learn some of those things from us. But I was just listening to this guy. He's 65 years old, and he, he's, he's, you know, he was just a total brother in Christ. And it was so fun to, to just fellowship with him in that, in that moment. Um, and, and, and then he was telling me, though, that he said, he said, I'm the youngest, you know, priest out of everybody I know. And he was 65 years old. Um, and he said, all the other guys I know have completely checked out. He, he, they're, they're basically just getting their paycheck and doing the, the bare minimum because he said, not because they're bad people, because they've given up. Because they know that, that, that the, there can't be a move of God in Ireland especially not in the Catholic Church. It's kind of what their sentiment is at this point. But he was like, but I, I, really, I really take what Pope Francis is teaching, and I believe that we can have a renewal, and I'm fighting for the renewal. And I was just like, come on, man, come on. Man. So anyways, like, I, I think being a missionary, um, getting outside your bubble um, is just a really important thing. Now, on the other hand, you know, you guys were asking me some of these questions earlier. Um, and, and I, I have, like maybe many of you um, in the room are listening, um, I have had to, because of, of having people that I really do believe love Jesus and adhere to the Apostles' Creed and all those things, yet they have adopted a sexual ethic um, that basically has created co completely divergent paths um, for me and them. And, and you know, they, they're dear, dear friends. They have been, and I will always consider them that. Um, they've been absolute partners in ministry and, and, you know, all these things. And yet, you know, because of some of what has happened in our society over the last couple of years, they have begun to believe some things about, you know, sexuality that to me are, are clearly not in line with Scripture, and they believe about me that I'm leading our church and, and people into a place that is not in line with God's heart. Um, and so we have had to, you know, basically say, well, 
our partnership and fellowship, it, it ends here. And that is brutal. Um, that is brutal. And, and you know, I, I, I can say that that is not something I've experienced as a parent with their child, which I know many people have, or vice versa, as a child with a parent, um, or, or siblings and all of those things, which is a whole nother level of agony in this. Um, so it's, it's, this is not easy stuff. I mean, obviously, I wish it was all in this just kind of like theological, dispensational, eschatological, like all these different things. It'd be great to just be there and like, yeah, whatever. Um, but there are some other realities that we're dealing with that are not so fun and extremely painful. Um, and so we have to do our best to, um, yeah, keep, keep trying to refine our own faith, you know, walking out our, 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 our salvation with fear and trembling. Um, and there are times, scripturally, you can see it, where the scriptures prescribe a separation of fellowship. Um, and, and, and it's a little difficult because obviously both parties think they're right um, in these situations. And, and we let God be the judge. And, uh, and we, you know, not even... Not even, um, who was it? Mo Mo somebody, they were fighting over the body of Moses, um, Abraham and, and the devil or something, and, and Abraham wasn't even going to bring a, an accusation against, you know, this evil spirit or something. And Jude, sorry, Jude, you pull out Jude, and it's like, what just happened? It's in there. I, it's in there. Um, and so I do think we have to be really careful with our words um, and, uh, and all of that, but yeah, we have to walk out those lines, and sometimes, sometimes it's tough inside the church. Yeah, and I would just say, to adding to that a little bit, because I have experienced that uh, within my family, um, and I, I, I don't, I don't <laughs> talk about that in church often because it's it's private stuff that uh, reflects on people other than myself. Um, but I would say the one thing that the Lord has told me. Um, is to keep the door open. Uh, and that's been really hard to do at times. The story um, is not over. No, it's not. No, it's not. Um, and, and I'm grateful that that's the one thing the Lord's called me to do because sometimes it's felt, that has felt like I can only do this if you help me, Jesus. I can only keep the door open if you help me because it's gotten so um, painful um, and dysfunctional at times. Um, but what that looks like practically has been, yeah, when you say like, oh, no fellowship, you know, it's like, yeah, the fellowship isn't fellowship. Like the rare occasions um, when there's interaction, it's, it's a hard and painful thing. It's not the lightness that, that I grew up with of laughing around board games and going on vacation. And um, it still has the same amount of love and affection and tenderness, um, but there's just this really sad wall of I cannot celebrate the things that you're celebrating. I can't get excited about what you're getting excited about. Um, and, and you look at me as someone that you believe is um, harming people by uh, what I do professionally, what, I, and what the Lord has called me to, and how I live my life. Um, but I can keep the door open. Um, and so I, I wonder, just as we're saying that, you know, I wonder if there's some insight for how we interact um, with other churches that have crossed those lines. And it's like, I look at churches that are saying, no, we don't believe in the authority of scripture. No, we don't believe in this. No, we don't believe in that. No, we, we don't believe in what the Bible preaches in this or what the Bible says on that. Or we disagree with you and think the Bible doesn't say that. And I would say, I don't, I don't think that you're getting that from the Bible. But um, 
But I look at those churches and, I, and it seems clear to me that in many of those places, there can still be people who know Jesus there. Um, but like I often say, like the danger of bad theology is not necessarily that God is gonna reject you, but that eventually you may very likely reject God. Um, and so I'm not gonna partner with you in what you're teaching. I'm not gonna agree with you in what you're teaching. I'm not gonna say that's good or that's healthy. I'm going to disagree with you when people come and ask me. I will tell them, no, I think that that is the way that leads to death. Um, but I'm also not gonna say that I know whether or not your relationship with Jesus is real. Um, because that, that really is the Lord's to decide. It's, it's their relationship with him. And I believe that we can have a uh, good relationship with Jesus even though we might have bad theology, even though we, we might believe wrongly. That seems really clear to me, right? Like King David died thinking that polygamy was a good thing. Um, but he was a man after God's own heart. Um, and, the, and the Bible very clearly condemns polygamy in every instance of it. It wreaks havoc even in King David's life. And yet for some reason... Um, it seems, as far as we can tell, the Lord never said, David, polygamy, bad idea. Just take care of all those people instead of marrying them and sleeping with them. Um, so, I, you know, I don't know. I think, it's, I think it's really messy, and I'm really glad the Lord gets to sort that out. Um, and, I, and I would say, practically speaking, right, for us, it's like, just, just what is the Lord telling me to do? And let me do that. Um, can I just say one other yeah, thing? Yeah, absolutely, please. Just kind of going back on something I said, that's like exactly what you were saying, but just emphasizing like scripture doesn't say like if you confess with your mouth the apostles' creed is true, like you will be saved. It, like it is Jesus is Lord. And so just to clarify too, like that's not our decision, but I think having a fuller picture of like sound biblical doctrine can help us in drawing boundary lines. But I don't think it's, our job to like look at somebody else's faith and say like whether or not they're whether or not they know Jesus because their salvation is whether or not they believe in Jesus and we we don't know that that's not for us to judge so yeah. just to clarify that and maybe we can just stay as far away from that line as possible yeah. or it's like I don't know where that line is that's that really is the Lord's line I can discern but I don't get to condemn um, but I'm gonna just like if the line is somewhere over there like can we just go that way yeah and as close to Jesus as possible instead of flirting with, you know, how much can I twist this stuff before I break in relationship with the Lord and don't realize it. Um, I want to end with uh, this, this question, this train of thought. Um, and you hit this and, and suggested it probably be a good place to end with, and I agree. Um, the state of the church. Um, our news cycle, the world in which we live, our culture, um, would have us believe that the church is in decline. Um, people have been saying ever since uh, Nietzsche wrote it down that God is dead. Um, and people have, have, have been saying, yeah, the, the, the future of, of, of society, the future of culture, the future of, of a common worldview is no, there is no God. Is, what is the state of the church? Is the church in decline or is it on the rise? Um, or is it something else? Karen, why don't you kick us off with that one? <laughs> well, I just shared with them a story that was super encouraging to me. Um, two weeks ago for my uh, seminary, I had to do, my whole program is online, and three times in our program, it's like a three-year degree, we have to come together um, in person, and it was the most amazing experience, and it was so encouraging seeing the people that I'm studying alongside, and um, when we were talking about this, just like, is the church alive? Is it well and good? Um, 
I was just so encouraged in my class. Like I had this small class of 14 people. There were about 100 people total, but my class. And there was a guy from Nigeria there. There was a guy from Grenada there. There were people who were doing addiction ministry down in Florida. There were, I found a sister in Christ who's here in Phoenix who doesn't have a church actually right now. And so I invited her to come check out Living Streams. And it was just so encouraging to see all of these people um, who are already doing ministry and who are trying to train and um, get their doctrine right so they can lead people well, um, but see that their ministry was alive and the beautiful things that the church was doing. There was a 73-year-old man in my class who's been doing ministry in Japan for 40 years, and he hasn't seen very much progress, but he's so proud to be a part of the ministry there. So it was just so encouraging to me to see my brothers and sisters in Christ all over the world coming together to study together, and that was just a small testament to me. Like, yes, the church is very alive, and it's beautiful, like you said, David on Sunday. Yeah, I'm, the church is God's first and foremost. And even as that, as I spoke to, I think it was the Heidelberg Catechism earlier, it says that Jesus gathers and protects and preserves his church. And in Philippians says the work that he begins, he'll bring to completion. And we only love God because he first loved us, and I don't think that God's love is gonna be subject to change in any way, and the spirit is still moving, and, and the word is still living and active. And so as to whether the, the church is, is falling, falling to the side, I'd say, I mean, the quote from Narnia, right? Aslan's on the move. That it's God's still moving, and God's still redeeming, not in the continual work of, of impartation that's already happened, but God's so redeeming his people as there's still people that he's, he's going after, and there's still people who have yet to turn to Christ and love him. Uh, and so, of course, the church is in renewal, and then, of course, the church is in growth because God loves the church, and he protects them. Um, in Ireland, the, the, the fire... Um, being, you know, the fellowship of the church and, and the faith that's there um, was very f few and far between. Um, I, and I, I'm not just saying that from our nine months of, of being there. I'm saying that because when we got there, that's what all the people who had been there for a long, long time were telling us. And that was definitely the feel in the, in the air um, and on the ground. Yet, um, you know, we got to see some pretty neat increase um, in that time we were there. And I, I just feel like, you know, it's, they're so ripe for, for something, something to happen. And, um, and so I'm excited about that. But then while I was there, you know, obviously we're in an American context here. Um, the, the perspective that I got looking at America through Irish eyes and, you know, when the Irish eyes, there's no, I didn't know. But um, the, the American, the church, the church in America, the Christian church in America is, is awesome. I mean, the fire is bright and still the fire is providing warmth and light all around this world 
through missionaries, through missions agencies, through finances, through prayers, through all kinds of things. I mean, it's no doubt all of, all of the missionaries, all of the pastors, all the people, they, they would, they would, they're very thankful for the church that's in America. Very, very thankful. So in that sense, I was like, okay, come on. And I'm an American, and they already think we're prideful, so I couldn't, I couldn't express any pride in that. But I was like, you know, come on, let's go. I was, it was really cool. Um, so that's one perspective um, to answer the question. Two perspective is right here, right? Like I'm just sitting right here next to two young people. They're married, um, but they are, they are devoting their lives to seminary and to serving the Lord. Um, and, and, and they haven't given up on the church. They think she's got a future. They're excited about it. Um, and we've experienced that at Living Streams that, you know, every generation, they just, they just keep, they just keep coming. And, and in fact, in some ways, this generation, they might, they might be the best one yet. I mean, they're, they're hungry and they're, um, they're not, they're not easily fooled, I don't think. Um, they're looking for the real thing, which is cool. And not only that, but I just bought a minivan. <laughs> Actually, I paid for a minivan. I still don't have it, so it's very unsuccessful. Um, but I'm sitting there at the dealership, and I'm signing papers with this guy named Fernando. And, uh, you know, I was weird enough for him to ask me questions, I think, uh, you know, outside of paperwork and loan. Um, and so I just was answering questions, and we were talking, and... I have no idea, I, like I didn't, I didn't even, like he did this, I didn't do this. He was using me to somehow like talk to him. It was so bizarre, I didn't even know it was happening until he texted me and said, I'll be there Sunday. And I was just like, what just happened? What did I say? What, ha what, what happened between us? I was thinking about a minivan, but somehow our conversation, you know, he's, 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 you know, it sounds like they were raised Catholic, he and his wife, and they have twin six-year-olds, and then they have like a 12-year-old, and it sounds like with 2020, and once the kids were born, they just kind of like been floating, and, and, and they weren't really that into the Catholicism anyway, so it wasn't like a real loss for them um, when, when they just stopped going, but, but we were just talking, and, and I was telling them about our church, and um, and, and then he was asking me about this or that. And so I was like, well, I'll send you the, you know, the website. You could check it out or whatever. So I sent him the website out, and he just responded immediately, I'll see you on Sunday. You know, we'll be there on Sunday. And it's funny because I'm actually preaching in Living Streams Espanol. And so I'm like, I don't know if I'm supposed to invite him to the Espanol or if he's supposed to come here. or what. I don't even, I don't even know. I mean, he just threw me off big time. But it was just basically people are hungry. People know they, they, we've hit the dead end on a lot of these things, yeah. or at least hit the, you know, like the cul-de-sac. And sad to say, there's a lot of people already in the ditch from some of these ideas. And so there's a bunch of people who've just kind of been going, well, it looked like maybe there was something there, but no, that wasn't it. That wasn't it. That wasn't it. Maybe, maybe there is something here. And I, so it's happening, and, you know, we, we have, we got work to do. We, can at least, we can't keep our, church, our, our nation or our society from becoming post-Christian. I mean, we, we can try, but we can at least keep the church from becoming post-Christian, and that's our job right now because people, people need the beauty and the healing, and she's, it's here. It's here. We are... And I'm not saying living streams. I'm, uh, there's, yeah. Phoenix has got some awesome churches, and there's lots more, but... Um, 
I feel good about this one, too. I, I can't agree with that more. I think we are more poised for revival than we've been in my entire lifetime. Uh, I came back in 2021, and I was super pumped up because I, in 2020, was here overseas, and I saw the Lord do so much, and I started doing this thing, which I've now gotten lazy about, but every time I would fill up gas on my way home at that QT on, on Glendale, I would just, I'd fill up my tank, and then I'd go find one person, and I'd just go tell them something about Jesus or see what the Lord wanted to say, and I did that for probably five or six months straight every time I filled up gas, and I never once had anybody say, I don't want to hear it. Every time I did that, someone was like, yes. And so there were scary dreads, they're, man. They're like, yes, yes. yes. Yeah. Well, and that's a, you know, that's a unique QT too, right? I'm, I'm, I'm not the most intimidating looking person at that QT. But like, I mean, there were times where I couldn't get back to my car because I'd like pray for someone and then someone would pull up in the car and be like, tell me about it. You know, and I'm like, what's going on? Like, like people are hungry. People are really really hungry for Jesus here. And it's interesting because, you know, people say the church is in decline, but really it's, if you look a little closer at those, at those numbers and those statistics, it's the churches that have given up on the authority of scripture. Yeah. It's the churches that have given up on what the Bible says. Um, the chaff. The chaff. David the chaff. chaff down there. We got a lot of chaff. That's right. It's the, it's the churches right that say, you know what, we're going to redefine what God says for ourselves so it fits the mold of what our culture. Those churches are fracturing and plummeting uh, but the churches that aren't are growing. I, I read a, a poll recently that over the last decade, the non-denominational churches, which are all very different, but for the most part look very similar to living streams. Uh, non-denominational churches in the last decade, there are about five or 6,000 more non-denominational churches in America than there were 10 years ago. And there are about six and a half million more people attending non-denominational churches in America than there were 10 years ago. Um, and I think that's indicative of what we're seeing and what we're experiencing, right? And Ryan talked to, uh, shared a statistic a couple weeks ago that there are, I don't know, something like uh, seven, eight, nine, ten 10% more uh, Gen Zers attending church than there were two years ago. I mean, that's insane. Um, and globally speaking, the church is booming. Um, I think one really cool thing, kind of to Terrence's point, that I, uh, a statistic I heard that I thought is so cool. You know, people talk about how the church is just all a bunch of white guys um, doing their thing. But the truth is, statistically, uh, white men are the minority in the church. Um, Globally speaking, if you are a follower of Jesus, you are significantly more likely to be a woman, uh, which is true. Look at almost any church anywhere, and it's all ladies. Um, and you are significantly more likely to be a person of color. Um, the church is thriving all over the world. And the church here in America, I don't think is poised for decline. I think it's poised for revival. Um, any last thoughts from any of you guys before we wrap her up? The, you guys have been awesome. It's warm in here. It's late. It's middle of the week. Let's let him go. He thinks it's warm. He's been in Ireland for <laughs> nine months. Warm right We're now. like, yeah, hey, this is normal. This is what it's felt like, what it feels like in Phoenix. Well, thank you guys so much. Uh, let me pray for us really quick, and then we'll wrap it up. Uh, Jesus, we love you. We worship you. We thank you. We thank you for your church, Lord. We thank you that your church is strong, that it's growing, that it's thriving, Lord God. And we want to see that, Lord. Don't let us miss the opportunity uh, that right here in America, Lord, we are poised for revival, Lord. Let us, um, Lord, I pray that every single person listening to this uh, in the room or listening to, us, uh, to this tomorrow or in the, the weeks that follow, Lord, pray that every one of us who's listening to this uh, would have a moment from you in the next few days to share of your mighty works with someone and that not one of us would miss that moment, that we would tell someone that, that, that Aslan is on the move, that we would tell someone that you are here, that you are moving, that you are in power, that you love them, and that your church is a beautiful and a strong place to be. 
And we love you so much, Lord Jesus. Amen.